0: Let's pray. God, as we come today, we have so much to be thankful for. We thank you for a a wonderful week serving and planting seeds in kids and families. God, we thank you for uh, the way that you protected our Summer Kids Club. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the fellowship that we got to have inside our church and in our town and community with our barbecue fest. God, we thank you that these are little tastes of the kingdom that one day at the great wedding feast of the Lamb, we will be be doing this in complete joy and fullness. God, I pray that you would help us um, to see these opportunities to love our neighbors, uh, to, to include them in our fellowship and point them to our Savior. I pray, Lord, that the seeds that we planted this week would grow. We know that there are many things in life we can teach, but we cannot raise the dead. And so for the seeds to to grow, you will have to do it. For the seeds that we have planted and watered in this last week, for them to grow, you alone can waken those seeds to life and make them to grow. And so we pray in the kids and in those families that you would do what only you can do. Help us to work and then rest in the rhythms that you've given your disciples where we know well we've done, what we can and now we wait to see what God makes grow from that. God, we, I pray this morning for those in our church that come this morning afraid. I don't know what they're, what all of the fears are, but the fear of the future, fear of the, fear of the diagnosis, fear of the treatment, fear of the, the coming bills. God, I know that there are some today that are afraid for their marriages or for their children or for their grandchildren. Those that live in anxiety moment by moment, not knowing how is this going to be taken care of. And so I pray this morning for those that are here and afraid. God, that you would show yourself to be their rock and their redeemer. That you would show them that you, the God most high, care about them and are going to continue to care for them. I pray that the solution to their fear and anxiety would be a deeper knowledge of You as their rock. God, I pray for those who come here today with um, shame and guilt this morning. Those who come this morning with great regret over the last day, the last week, or years past, bearing burdens of failures and of sin and of temptation. And they bring those today and they just kind of weigh on their hearts I pray that today in the songs that we sing and in the words that are read and preached that they would hear. That their sins, that though they are as scarlet, can be white as snow and they don't have to continue bearing the shame and guilt of the past. God, we pray for our sister churches in the area. I pray specifically for the churches down in Greene County today root House and Whitehall, we I pray that today you would be worshiped in spirit and in truth. I pray that the gospel that is that is the um, it is the power of salvation and it is the power to grow, to be like Jesus. I pray that it would be declared clearly. I pray that the people would grow in the church in our sister churches to the south. I pray that they would be strengthened through the gospel, that they would grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, their savior so that all of those who live in this area would get the chance to hear and respond to the true gospel of Jesus. Not morals, not laws, not behavior modification, not how to improve their lives, but that they would hear the lesson of how to gain eternal life and life to the full. They would get to know that the gospel is an invitation to joy. I pray that for all of our neighbors. I pray for all of those who live here in Manchester and in the towns around us, the counties that are around us. God, I pray that today in our service that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, that we would know the one thing above all that the Bible points us to is Jesus Christ crucified and risen again and coming again for us. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Fifteen years ago, my wife and I we were in Texas, and we come across this restaurant that I've never heard of before. Their sign is blue and white, and Emma was like, "Oh, Culvers! Yeah, I know Culvers." And I was like, "What? Well, I have never in my life seen a Culvers." Uh, and so we go there in Austin to Culvers, and I was like, "Where has this been my whole life? This is the best fast food burger I have ever had." And then the custard on top, I was like, this place is amazing. I was like, I have never seen anything. turns out it was the only one in Texas. So that's why that's the only one I'd ever seen before. But the thing I couldn't figure out is I was like, this place has amazing burgers. But they have so many things on their menu. They've got pot roast, and they've got salads, and they've got chicken. They've got everything imaginable on this menu But like the butter burger is like where it's at. And I, you know, we've been going there ever since and go with my in-laws and I'm like, this place is amazing. And I look around and this lady has soup and this guy has taco salad or something. And I'm like, do you guys know they have butter burgers here? But I heard an interview with the founder of Culver's a month or so ago. And they were asking him, they're like, most restaurants specialize like, we make the world's best tacos. You know, we make really, really good sub sandwiches or something. And he was like, you guys like, make homemade pot roast and soup and sandwiches and salads and everything imaginable in your restaurant. He was like, what, what is with that? Why would you do that? And I said, well, our first restaurant was in a small town in Wisconsin. And we realized if we had one specific thing, then when the family goes, where do you want to go to eat tonight? and somebody goes, I'm not in the mood for a burger, then we don't get, they won't come to us. And so he said, so we have to make sure that if, when a group of people or a family is thinking through what do you want to eat tonight, we have an option for them because they said in a small town, we don't get to eliminate or reduce our, our customer base. And so he said, the, the, the big reason that Culver's that specializes in butter burgers and custard has so many different things is because everybody out there wants something different and we need to be able to meet them where they're at and so i'm like oh that makes sense so culver's is the kind of place that meets everybody where they're at i was thinking of that that nature of what is it that you want because the passage we're looking at today i think speaks to a lot of us and but we all come here with different things we each of us has something different in our mind that you come today and maybe you go I really want security. Like, how how can I know it's going to be okay? How do I know it's going to be okay? Somebody else might be here this morning and your heart just really wants to be free. You come here this morning and your heart just really wants to be free from some weight of failure, of sin, that you just go, I wish I could be free. Maybe you don't even name it, but it's just this constant weight and burden that you carry. Maybe you come here today and you kind of you're like, I just wish I can, could know the strength to walk through the valley. I just want to know how how can I make sure to to get the strength to do this another day and to go through this. Or maybe you're here and you go, I want to know something worth spending my life on, something that is worth every, everything, my whole purpose and everything that I do. And you go, I, I, want, I need something that, that says, this makes it all worth it. This is what we're doing. Today, we're looking at a passage that addresses each one of those. Today, go ahead and turn with me to Psalm chapter 22. Psalm 22 is a psalm that speaks to you wherever you're at today. And says, look here. Look at this. Psalm 22 is a psalm of David. Where David, several thousand years ago, calls all of us, put your eyes here. Look at this, no matter what it is that you want. Psalm chapter 22, beginning in verse 1, for the director of music to the tune of The Doe of the Morning, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One, You are the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Let's pray. God, as we open your word here today, all of us come with our own questions, our own desires, our own needs. I pray that you would direct all of our eyes to the one answer to our questions. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 22 is David's song. And if you, in those first verses, you're hearing echoes of Jesus on the cross, it's because this is the most frequently quoted song in the New Testament. Matthew and Luke explain Jesus' death on the cross using these words because Jesus spoke these words from the cross. Even these very first words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's a reason this is familiar. It's because this is the quoted song of Jesus from the cross. And so we kind of go, what what is this? What is Psalm 22? It's a little different than some of the other Psalms that we've been walking through. It feels a little bit familiar, but you might write this in your notes. Acts chapter 3, verse 20, tells us that David is a prophet. We usually think of David the king. We even you think of David as the worship leader who writes songs, but Acts chapter three verse twenty says that David was a prophet, and that his words were often pointing us. And uh, specifically in Acts chapter three, Stephen says that David was prophesying about Jesus. So as we read this and we hear this on the lips of Jesus, and we think through what is going on here, this is where David is. David is a prophet, and what he's calling you and I to do in this psalm today is to look at God's victory in the Savior's suffering. David, thousands of years before Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, thousands of years before us, calls to us today and says, Wherever you are and whatever it is you're looking for, security, freedom, strength, mission, purpose in life, whatever it is, David says, look at God's victory in the Savior's suffering. So what I want to show you today is I want to show you four things to find in God's victory. This psalm. It's laid out from David, the prophet pointing us to the Savior, gives us four ways, four things to find victory in God's or find in God's victory. First, look to God's victory in the Savior for freedom from guilt and shame. Look for freedom from guilt, look for freedom from guilt and shame here. This psalm has three sections to it. The first section is this cry and this plea of God, this is my experience here. And Jesus, who takes this and sings it from the cross, is this is my experience of my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In verses 1-8, through eight, all who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. There is, the, in these verses, it's a description not of somebody's sickness. This is a description of an execution. This is not David saying, "I'm struggling in my life." This is David the prophet saying, "There is coming some one day somebody who is going to suffer." And this is this cry in verses one through eight of, "This is my suffering." Then in the second section in verse 9 to verse 20, uh, I'm sorry, to 21, is this plea for God, can you save me?" Look at verse nine. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth, I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. "'My heart is turned to wax. "'It has melted within me. "'My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, "'and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. "'You lay me in the dust of death. "'Dogs surround me. "'A pack of villains encircles me. "'They pierce my hands and my feet.' All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes against them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. Here in the second section, David is prophesying of Jesus and this is his song of God. Can you rescue me from this? And so, this this is a song of someone who is innocent, perfectly innocent, suffering. There are times where David can make a song and say, God, I, I, I'm not guilty of the things somebody did to me. Not I'm perfectly innocent of everything, just I'm guilty of this. But here it is clear that this is somebody who is suffering innocently in on behalf of other people. And so when we look at this psalm and see... Jesus, the only truly righteous sufferer, takes this song up. What we see in it is that there is freedom for those who are found in Jesus because the truly innocent suffered and died for the truly guilty. And so if you're here today and there's some, some maybe it's a, a sin that nags at you or maybe it's just a weight of how could I have done that? How could I have looked at that again? How could I have gone there? How could I have treated him or her in that way? How could I have betrayed my God in such a way? If that is you today, look at the suffering, innocent servant and see that you can be completely free of sin and guilt. Completely wiped away. That if Jesus sings this song in your place, if you are in Christ, then you are completely free free. The, the justice of God is on guilty people is poured out on an innocent sufferer in Jesus. And if it is poured out on an innocent sufferer in your place, then that means there is no guilt and shame left. That means that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If Jesus is righteous and the sufferer and does this in our place, then we should look to Jesus and see God has gained victory over my sin. And He's not waiting for me to improve before I come to Him. He says, come, for, come in my approval in the righteous record of Jesus. So if, if you're here today and you say there's just this weight this weight of guilt of all of the things I didn't do. When I was was raising my kids, all of the ways that I failed them. Look at the cross and hear you're free. If you think back on years past and you say, how could I have done that? How could I have gone those places, done those things, lived that kind of life? God must be punishing me this passage says, look at the cross and go free. Look at God's victory and the Savior's suffering and go free. Tim Keller comments that if we want to see the justice of God, then we should look at the cross. If we want to see what God's justice requires, Tim Keller says, look here at the cross and see this is what justice requires. But if we want to see love, If we want to see the love of God, St. Keller says, also look at the cross. If you want to know what what the justice of God looks like, it looks like sinners suffering for their sin. But if you want to see what love looks like, it looks like God suffering for sinners on the cross. And so this passage calls to you and I today and says look at the cross and go free today. There is a weight of guilt of all of your sin and failure. If there is a weight of guilt over, I wish, how could I have not been better? Look at the cross. You see, I think that this is so important for us because there are times where we know something in our head, but then in our heart, we don't really know it. There are times where we say, yeah, I know those facts. But then we get down to what do I live like? And we realize that our hearts betray us and say, you don't really believe that God loves you and that you are free. I used to have a college student who she would, she would regularly talk about trying to be a good Christian, trying, trying, trying. And I was like, that idea tells me you don't understand the gospel it's that we are not we are not saved by what we do it is we are saved by what jesus has done in our place it's not about trying it's about resting and being changed by the holy spirit who lives inside of us because we have the record of jesus and so if your regular vocabulary sounds like i'm trying i'm trying i'm doing i'm doing look at the cross and see jesus say i did it it's done and then get that down deep into your heart so that it transforms your marriage. And your marriage isn't d- driven by trying but by Jesus' cross lived out in your life. If you're trying and trying to be a better dad who pays more attention at home and isn't so distracted by your own work and your own hobbies and your own desires, if you're a dad who wants to be free of that anger that you just seem to boil over in the house, instead of trying harder and getting plans, look at the cross so that you can be free. So the first thing this passage calls us to look at God's victory in the Savior so we can find freedom from sin and shame. Second, this passage calls to us and says, look to God's victory on the cross for for strength. I'm sorry, sorry, for security. Look to the cross for security. You see, here Psalm 22 looks like a failure. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, I cry out by day, but you don't answer. By night, I find no rest. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults at me. From birth, I was cast on you. Do not be far from me. My, my heart has turned to wax. This song sounds like failure. It's, it's the cry of somebody who is suffering, unending, unearned suffering. And it is the strong, tearing at the one righteous sufferer. And yet, if we have eyes to see it, this song says, look at how strong God is. Look at the cross and see what the world looks at and laughs at and mocks and tears to pieces. God says, I can bring victory even there. The cross looks like emptiness and nothingness and a loss, but when God looks at it, He says, I can bring victory even from that place. But David, I think, tells us that here, even God will have victory. Even God will have victory even in that place. You see, Satan comes into our lives and says, God loses. Look. And God says, I'm so strong that I can gain victory even in what looks like failure and suffering and loss. I'm that strong that I don't have to have all of the pomp and circumstances. Do you remember a few months ago, um, last month when King Charles was crowned and he's got all the scepters He's got the crowns on his head. He's got the ceremony. There's like so much gold and so many important people in that place. And it's as if to say, look at how strong I and my country are. And God says, I don't need any of that because I'm so strong, I don't have to show off. I can go and snatch victory even from crosses. Even from those, whose tongue is dried to the roof of their mouth. When the world says we will win, God says even there will be my victory. And so I think that David calls to you and I and says look at the cross for security and see my God is so strong that even crosses are no barrier to Him. Even tombs are no barrier to Him. Even empty bellies, empty futures, empty homes. He can fill those things up too. You see, the Bible declares that even what looks like loss to us can be used for God's glory and for our good. And so David says, look at the cross for security so that whatever road you walk down right now, you can say, God is so strong, he can even work here. Empty homes, empty wombs, empty jobs, dead ends, sicknesses, hospital rooms, uncertain future, estrangement. God is so powerful, He can even use this place for His glory and my good. And I know it because I see it at the cross, David calls to us. John Frame, kind of commenting about this idea, once said, So also in our own time, the most powerful work of God, the gathering of people out of Satan's clutches into Christ's kingdom is accomplished not through warfare or politics, not through the influence of money or fame, but through the foolishness of what was preached, through the cross. It is important for us to recognize that God's sovereign, controlling power not only appears not only in spectacular displays like the miracles of Jesus but also in events in which people perceive him as weak. We would love the miracles and the importance. We would love the seats of power, and we would love the money, and we would love the numbers, but God says, I can gain victory even in out-of-the-way barns in a small village on the edge of the Roman Empire. I can gain glory on hilltops outside of the, the temple. I can gain glory on the ends of the earth through the cross. And so this is a call for you and I to look at the cross and say, my God is that strong. My God is that strong for my kids and my grandkids and my great grandkids. My God is that strong for Manchester and Manchester Baptist Church. My God is that strong for America and for the world. My God is that strong for my addictions and my sins and my temptation." My God is that strong for my health struggles and my bills. Look to the cross for security, David says. The third way, the third thing to find in God's victory is look for strength in your suffering. You see, this is a song, this is praying. This is the, the, the form of this song as it starts with God. This is where I am. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It turns to a plea, but God, do not be far from me. Come quickly to my help. It's a room for us to plea and say, God, can you change this? Can you show up and can you save me? But it ends on a note of hope. You see, I came into this psalm knowing Psalm 22 is a a prophecy of the suffering servant, of the Savior that would come and that would suffer. And I knew I would be studying it on the week of Summer Kids Club, so I was like, I'm not going to have some of the time I might have to, to dig in. But I neglected to pay attention until this week to the fact that verses 22 to 31 is David, and through David, Jesus, saying, I will... This is what's going to happen. Notice all of the uses of the word will. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. Verse 27, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations will bow down before him for dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations all the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. This song that shows us a sufferer in our place, Gives us a model in our own suffering to say we are welcome to say, my God, my God, why did you forsake me in this hospital room? At this graveside. God, in this relationship. God, in this failure. God, why did you forget me? But then it gives us a new call to then turn it into a plea and say, God, but I'm not turning away from you. I'm still calling to you to help me. God, will you, will you give me strength for this? Will you give me deliverance for this? but then to also turn in confident hope and say, God, I trust that one day nations will praise You. God, I trust that one day, whether I'm the rich or the poor, whether I'm the one that can't keep himself alive, one day we will declare the Lord has done it. David teaches us to pray in this way, this experience and this plea ending on this note of confident hope. It's an invitation to you and I to pray in this way. But what I want, you to, I want you to notice a detail about this. Is that this psalm seems to be the one that was on Jesus' heart on the cross. The very first line, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus quoted from the cross. And then throughout the song, Jesus quotes it while he is suffering. And so it seems that Jesus is singing the whole thing while he hangs on the cross, ending on the line, He has done it, with Jesus' final cry being, It is finished. Jesus is singing this song from beginning to end with this experience and then plea and this hope, It's done. God did it. And so you and I get to look to the cross for strength in our own suffering, an invitation to pray this way. And then we get to look at Jesus and see that Jesus has walked this road in our place, sung the song in our place, and now walks alongside us, giving us the strength to walk it after Him. Jerry Packer comments that we, are, we know that in the Gospel that God calls us out of the darkness into the light. That God calls us out of the darkness of sin and into the light. But then in the Christian life, God seems to call us out of the light and into the darkness of suffering where then God says, I'm going to do something in you. And here, I think David says, when God calls you into the darkness of your own suffering, look to the cross for the model and the strength to walk that road with And after Jesus because that is the way that God leads us that's the way that God leads his people I once led a a remodel project where we were remodeling a church completely from the inside out and we ran into a problem because some of the work was done by contractors I think Brandon is going to feel the pain of this some of the work was done by contractors and some was done by volunteers And a volunteer went in there one time and decided to drywall, do some drywall mudding. And you can imagine how bad it looked when volunteers decided to do a job like uh, drywall mudding. I've tried it many, many times. I've watched all of YouTube University's videos on drywall mudding, and it is so incredibly hard. But I go in, and the contractor is like, do you realize how much work I have to do to undo what he just did? Like, this is a mess. But we found another man who was actually a drywall mudding wizard. And, you know, you kind of go, someone's like, this guy's actually really good. The contractor came back later and he goes, I have never seen somebody that good. And, and, the, the, and the guy came to me and he, or before he did it and he said, here's what I need you to do. I need you to go to the store and I need you to get these specific things for me. I'll take care of everything else. I'll do it on my schedule. You, won't, you know, I never I didn't oversee him. Contractor didn't oversee him. The contractor was like, "How did he fix everything that went wrong?" And from what I understand, the guy has a lot of skill, but a lot of it comes down to the recipe of his mud. He knows exactly what it is. He couldn't he can't he's done so many thousands of hours of drywall mudding that he could come in there, make the mix exactly the way that he want, undo everything that had been done before. And so no matter how much I watch his technique, no matter how many videos I watch, I came to learn there's something that he knows in the recipe that allows him to do what the rest of us can't do. The hours have taught his body to hold the equipment just right. The hours have taught him to mix the mud exactly the way that he needs it. And so... It came down to just letting the guy do his recipe. Follow his recipe. I was reminded of that story because here in this story, you and I are called in our own darkness to look at the cross for God's recipe for strength in suffering. If we want to know how do I go through this, David says, look at the suffering servant. This is it. There's no fancier recipe. Well, if you just say this prayer this way, if you just do that, David's like, look at the cross. Look at the cross. God says, look at the cross for the strength in your suffering. The sufferer who suffered in your place sang it perfectly and now lives to give you the strength to walk through your own suffering. So, so often you and I stop in verse 21 where we stop with saying, God, I trust you. Or I'm sorry, God, can you save me? But we never make the turn to verse 22. This says, God. I will declare your name to my people. God, we will declare your righteousness because you've done it. David says, don't stop short. Follow the recipe. Go to the end for strength and suffering. Look to the cross and trust that one day I am a confident hope will come true. So David says, look to the cross for strength and suffering. And the final way. The final thing to find in God's victory here is look for mission and purpose. Verse 22 to 31 is this confident hope, but I want you to notice that it's not simply one day I am going to rest easy in my bed and sleep without anxiety. One day things are going to be easier and I'm going to be able to pay my bills. This whole thing says that the point of the suffering servant is so that the world would know and worship. The whole point, I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise you, him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him, revere him, all you descendants of Israel. Starting with his family, then verse 24. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has listened to his cry for help. Verse 26, the poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules of the nation, over the nations. Verse 29 is is actually a reference the richest of people to the people that can't keep themselves alive. All of them are one day going to worship the powerful leaders of countries and the powerless who live in their countries, all of them will one day bow before the Lord. And so David says, look to the suffering servant to see the mission of God. It's that the world would know that the innocent sufferer suffered for them so that they could enjoy and worship Him forever. The scope of this goes from Israel to the world, from the rich to the poor, from the powerful to the powerless, so that the world may know that God is a God who saves. A king who doesn't lord it over the people, saying, look at me, give me my stuff, and says, I am so powerful, I will use my power to bless and to save. And this becomes the mission of God's people if we are willing to look at the cross. It becomes the mission in our families is not to raise healthy and well-adjusted children who have good marriages and have good jobs and they don't go into debt and they don't end up in jail. It's that we may have kids who know the Lord is righteous and kind to the wicked and saves those who are far from Him and will chase them down someday when they need it. It's to make sure that we have homes that declare this so that the other people, kids who grew up in Manchester... Can know that there is a God in Manchester who saves and loves. There's a kid who came by last night, asked somebody at the cookout, and they're like, How much does it cost? Because everything in our world costs something. And yet we're trying to live lives in Manchester that says the rich and the poor can be included in the feast of God. You are welcome to come and eat from this feast you are you're welcome to come to the God who saves so that when a high school girl writes the church or, or asks somebody in our church, I'm sorry and says, why do you why do you guys do those things? Why do you give things away? It's because everything we have has been given to us, and we will proclaim His righteousness to a people not yet born. By the mercy of God, our church will continue to do that i I'm continually struck by the fact that I'm just another pastor in 191 years of history here. And that's not a small thing because so many churches in our community were started after us and have closed before us. There's no given that, well, if we just get the technique right, our church will continue. But by the grace of God, for the, until Jesus comes back, our mission is to declare to the world, look at the cross and see what God is like. You can see His justice and you can see His love. And you can see that you are included. Come and buy and eat food that you can't pay for. Come and drink cups that you couldn't buy. Look at the cross and you can see the love and mercy of God. That's really the story of the Bible. Genesis chapter 12, God tells Abraham, I'm going to bless all the nations through your family. In Matthew 28, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. And then in Revelation chapter 5, God says, at that day, people from every nation, tribe, and tongue will come and worship and eat and have their tears wiped away. The story of the Bible is the mission that the world look and see that God who is just, is also a God of great love. It's for kids, it's for adults, it's for people that get arrested and go to jail. It's for those who have wasted their lives and wasted their talents. It's for those that have gotten all the things right on the outside but are, but are burned up on the inside with pride and anger and judgmentalism. The gospel is for all of us. The mission of God is that the whole world would hear and look at the cross in that way. So our mission is clear and secure. We don't have to make up, what should our church be about? It should be about pointing people to the cross so that the world worships with us. It's about pointing our kids to the cross so that they worship with us. It's pointing those who have no hope to the cross so that they can worship with us. So this passage calls you and I, all of us, to look at the cross and look at the cross and keep looking at the cross. But maybe you're struggling right now, struggling in one of these ways. You struggle to believe that you're actually free. You struggle right now because you're so weak in your suffering and you say, how can I be secure and strong? You say, God, where is the good news for me? The good news of this passage and of the whole Bible is that this is not just a song for you to sing. It's a song for you to see. Jesus has already sung this in your place. If you are weak and suffering, look to Jesus for His record. If you're ashamed of the past, look to Jesus for the identity of the perfect Son. If you need hope and strength, then look to Jesus who gives His Spirit to you and sings over you, God has done it. If you have repented of your sin today, entrusted in Jesus only to save you, then look again to Jesus and be reminded that you're free. If you have not repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus, committed to following Him as King, then let me ask you today to look to Jesus. You've, maybe you feel the weight. Maybe you feel the weight of your sin. And you feel guilty before God. The Bible calls that conviction. It says your heart is declaring to you the wages of sin is death. How, and you but the, and the bible says that that death includes physical death in this life and eternal death in hell forever after this the, but instead of leaving us with condemnation the bible tells you the bible tells you that tells us to look at jesus who lived the life that we should live died the death that we should die and was raised to life to offer to anyone who repents of sin and trusts in jesus Commits to following Him as Savior and Lord. Says you can be free, you can have an eternal destiny, you can be born again, was what Jesus calls it. You can have eternal life. If you today want or need to do that, you feel the weight of that, come and grab me. Grab me while we sing at the end of the service. Grab me in the hallway. Grab somebody that you know and trust that brought you here today and say, I want this. I want to be found in Jesus. So this passage calls to us and says, look, look at God's victory in the Savior's suffering. Look to it for freedom. Look to it for strength. Look to it for security. Look to it for mission. I want you to imagine what changes in your your parenting or grandparenting when you look to the cross and you realize the job is actually a lot bigger than raising well-adjusted kids, grandkids, and great-grandkids. It's actually a job beyond me. Imagine what changes when you begin to look at the cross and measure. The measure of your life becomes pointing your family to the cross. That's a different goal than your in-laws have. It's a different goal than your neighbors have. That's a different goal than the people at school has. But it's a freeing goal because it says, God, you're going to have to do what only you can do. And I'm going to join you in pointing my kids to the cross. Imagine what changes for those today that need strength when you realize that God is so strong, He can, bring, he can make a victory out of crucifixions and tombs. Imagine those of you today who need to hear somebody declare freedom and forgiveness. The world doesn't declare freedom and forgiveness. The world says, can you believe you ever did that? Go away and don't ever come back. But the gospel says, welcome sinners. In the record of the righteous sufferer, imagine the hope and freedom in your life when this becomes the thing in your heart. Imagine what changes in Manchester when our church is a church of hope. That in the middle of our suffering, we say, we know God is going to do this. We know the God who delivers is going to keep delivering. And that we will one day worship and declare, He has done it. That makes a church of hope. It makes a church of good news. Let's pray. God, as we look at Psalm 22, I pray that you would give us clear eyes to find everything that we need in the cross. In the innocent sufferer who suffered in our place. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.